So end times chapter um, part two, where the church fits in end times, the rapture. And so I'm, I'm excited about this subject. As I, as I shared with you last week, I came into the kingdom in, this, in, the, in 1979. Is this echoing? That's okay. In, in 79, and this was really on the church radar at this time. Uh, it really was an end times. Um, Tim LaHaye wrote the book on the book of Revelations. And when I actually met Stefan um, in the Chateau Hotel, uh, anybody I met at that time, I was actually talking to them about end times. And uh, when I met Stefan, I was talking to him about Jesus coming back and end times. And, and there was quite a few of the chefs in the hotel there. And they all gave their hearts to the Lord uh, because of this teaching. And Barry Smith, who was an evangelist at that time, he's since been uh, gone to be with the Lord, he was an evangelist, but his message was end times, and hundreds of people in New Zealand were coming into the kingdom because of that. And this was in the 70, 79, this was in the 80s. And, and so it's a powerful message, and God says when we preach this message, we are to comfort one another with these words. Why? Because end time teaching should bring comfort to people, and it should bring people out of darkness into light, knowing that our God is, the, is, is a man of war, that he is a champion, and that he's got the story written, and we win. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now on the earth and how dark it's getting. God is in the light and he's written the book and there's no devil and there's no demon that's going to take us by surprise or take God by surprise. And so this is a, an encouraging subject that we want to jump on board with and be able to um, just be comforted and, and encouraged in our hearts. And so um, I've just put here that understanding in times and God's redemptive story um, that he's revealed to us in his word is an absolute masterpiece. You know, it really is the most incredible drama. If you look at the types and shadows all the way through the Old, and New, uh, Old Testament, where God has written the story and the mystery that has been written, it's absolutely amazing. And I believe when we all get to heaven, God is going to play this, this whole thing out for us. And we're just going to see the magnificence of the handiwork of God as he's worked through the generations. And so this morning, I want to look at where, where, where the church fits in this incredible story. Um, and I, I think I might have alluded to it last week, but there's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of discussion about the church and where she fits. And there's been, you know, controversy in, in church uh, with different theologians or what they believe um, about end times and who six sixes and things like that. Um, and it's interesting how over the years you've seen Christians, if you've been around for any, any length of time, you've seen Christians trying to fit what is happening in their generation into the end time scriptures. And uh, it's funny because, you know, the, 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 their, um, their predictions have come and gone and the timings that they have said in the 80s and the 2000s, remember the you know, all, all of these kinds of predictions that something's going to happen at this, at this period, they've all come and gone. And yet God's word is still the same. And God's time clock is ticking. And it will happen just as he said it would. You know, we've got Christians right now that are, um, particularly in America, that are actually right now storing up food because they think that they're going to be going through the tribulation. And then you've got other Christians that say, well, for goodness sake, you know, you know things have been worse in all of the different generations and in different time periods, um, you know, and they don't believe Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. And they are really speaking a little bit like uh, what Peter the Apostle warned us about in 2 Peter, where, he, where they've said, oh, look, since the beginning of time, they've said God's going to come back. And look, everything goes on just the same as ever. Have you heard that? My mother used to say that to me. Um, oh, goodness me, you know, you become Christians, and I was obviously talking in time stuff. They said, oh, Vanessa, you know, since, since I can remember, people have been talking about Jesus coming back. And look, things are always still the same. You know, there's still things just, you know, continuing. If we have a look and you study uh, world history and world historians, you'll see that there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, persecution and evil that has actually been in the earth at different times. And, um, but they've been in isolated places and in isolated nations. Right now what we're seeing is we're seeing the evil and the persecution and the impact on a global scale. You know, we've, we haven't seen the evil of the Roman empires and some of these ancient empires of the things and the disgusting, um, you know, sort of, you know, things that they've done to human life 
over the centuries, the Assyrians and, and, and the Byzantine Empire, some of the wickedness that these people did is, just not, is, is not what we're experiencing even right now. Um, but right now there's a global, a global feel that's happening. We're seeing nations collapsing financially. We're seeing global markets collapse, and we're seeing wars, rumors of wars. We're seeing famine on more of a global scale than just in an isolated nation. Not only that, but we're also seeing nations rising up against Israel. And part of the end times, it says that all the nations will rise up against her. And at the moment, Israel's got friends where the church is her friend. Um, and America, the Western churches, the Reformation nations used to be and were the friends of Israel. Um, the um, United Kingdom actually voted, voted against her and divided up her country after the First or Second World War, um, uh, or the Second World War, whatever it is. And so you can just kind of start to see that we are actually in end times. And if we have a look and we see God's prophetic time clock, we can see it began at the time of creation when God created the world in six days and in the seventh day he rested. We have a look from Abraham, I'm sorry, Adam to Noah is 2,000 year period. And then we see from Noah to Jesus Christ was a 2,000 year period. And then we see after Jesus rose from the dead, the church has had another 2,000 years. We're at the end of that 2,000 years. On the seventh day, God rested. And on the seventh day, or the seventh thousand year, Jesus is coming back and the earth will be in a rest for, seven, for, seven, um, for, for a thousand years. And so you can see a, a plan that man has been on this earth. I mean, okay, people say the earth's been around for millions of years. That's up for an argument or up for debate, I should say. But when man as we know it with Adam and Eve has been a 6,000 year period and we're coming to the end of that 6,000 years. And there's, there's, a, there's one week to play of the Old Testament called Daniel's 70th week, which we don't have time to get into. There's 490 years of, 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 um, um, of prophetic timetable that there's one seven-year period yet to play out, which is called the seven years of tribulation. And between the dispensation of the law of Moses, or the law, and the church age, there's a seven-year there's, there's seven period um, that's going to play out, and it's pretty exciting to be able to see, and we're going to be watching it from heaven. We're not going to be here. And so this morning, I actually want to have a look at Scripture that supports why we um, believe what we believe. And so um, one thing we know is that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. Absolutely. He's coming. He's coming again, and he's coming as a king of kings. He came the first time as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He's coming again as the King of Kings, as the Messiah, as the Lord of hosts, and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. Wow, wow, wow. And so let's have a look. And so one of the most, in fact, just start here, one of the most incredible doctrines in the word is the rapture of the church. And why I say one of the most incredible doctrines is the rapture of the church, because when we actually have a look at what the rapture is, this is absolutely incredible. The headlines are that right now we've probably got about two billion Christians on the face of the planet at this point, two and a half billion. Now you imagine as we're moving towards that time, we may end up being three, million, four, four, um, three billion or four billion Christians. Now imagine when they all of a sudden one day all get taken out of the earth. That's incredible. That's more supernatural than anything else that's happened on the planet. Not only that, and we'll have a look at it in just a minute, people are going to see us go. They're literally going to see us go. That's even more incredible. Imagine what's going to be happening on the earth at that time as they see us leave. So let's get into it and have a look. <laughs> that's the headlines. And people are thinking, oh, yeah, okay. So the Bible teaches and exhorts us about the rapture and says, encourage one another as we teach this. And so there's three viewpoints on your outline. There's three viewpoints concerning the timing of the rapture. We've got people that believe that there is a pre-tribulation um, pre rapture. 
Um, then there's people that believe that there is a mid-tribulation rapture, which means this, if I just back up here, there's seven years of tribulation that are going to take place on the earth. Uh, and that is a time when Satan is going to be involved in the earth in a way that he hasn't been involved before. There's going to be the Antichrist, there's going to be 666, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff happening in the planet. Satan's going to try and come and be a world leader. He's going to make a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And then he's going to break it up to three and a half years. And then he's going to place himself on the throne in, in Jerusalem. And he's going to say he's Messiah. And he's going to try and rule uh, on the earth. And so there's a whole teaching on that. And so this period of tribulation is what the Bible said. It is great tribulation that God says that he has to come back because otherwise no one's going to survive through that period. You can, you can find and you can read up about nations rising against nations. You can, you can hear that there's an army going to be coming, thousands upon thousands, a number without, a, 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 an amount without number coming up from China, coming down to march against Israel. All the nations will surround Israel, about to just take her out. And as they are about to take her out, the King of Kings splits the skies, lands on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives splits in two, and he becomes um, king of kings and just wipes out the enemy. Quite an amazing story, um, which we're not going to cover today. But see, there's teaching there that says, okay, the church is going to go, is going to be raptured before that seven years starts. Some people believe that the church will go halfway through this seven years of tribulation and after three and a half years when Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel and then sets himself on the throne in, in Jerusalem, that then they will be raptured out of there. They will be martyred. Um, well, in fact, they are martyred, actually, um, the believers at that time. But that's, some people believe that, okay, the Christians are going to spend the first three and a half years going through the tribulation. That's why that book and that teaching and that movie came out left behind in the 1980s. And many Christians thought that they were going to be left behind to go through this horrific time uh, on the earth. Then we actually have um, another set of people that believe that the Christians will go through uh, the tribulation, the seven years, and will have to endure that. Many will be martyred. Many will be, you know, sort of taken out. Uh, and some of the scriptures that you can read in Matthew 24, 25, they sound pretty horrific. Um, and that, but that, uh, as we're going to see, has got nothing to do with the church. Uh, and when we teach on Israel and the nations, you can see that Jesus is talking about this time period in the seven years of tribulation, which is going to be, uh, he was speaking to Israel, and he was also speaking about the nations. He wasn't speaking about the church because the church is no longer here. And so we need to understand Bible scripture and Bible prophecy to be able to put ourselves and to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And so last week I said, um, just by way of review, and I'll read it so I don't preach last week's message, to correctly interpret scripture, we must understand end times begins with the subject of the dispensations of God, that God is a God of order and he has divided the events uh, into time periods. The things that have gone on the earth, they are divided up and you cannot, um, you cannot mix these events or these time periods up. There's sets of rules and the sets of the, way, of, of the ways God's dealt with man and they do not cross over. They, the, the time period or the dispensation began with God. It ended with man's sin. God started a new dispensation with man's grace and his righteousness. Man ended it. God came back in again and you can see that pattern all the way through. Um, and so we don't mix that up. And so what do we have to do when we're studying scriptures and say, okay, well, who's God speaking to? What time period are we looking at? And who's God speaking to? And so the other thing we said that we needed to understand is that God is, deals with three groups of people. He's looking at Israel, he looks at the nations, and he's talking to the church. So we don't mix those up when we're looking at scripture. Who's God speaking to? And if we can understand those things, then things become very clear. The puzzle that seems to be all messed up all comes together beautifully to, to absolute, like a symphony. It's just absolutely magnificent. And so on your outline here, I've put there that the rapture of the church belongs to the dispensation of grace. We see that there was the dispensation of innocence, which was creation, to, um, creation until the fall of man. 
Then we had the dispensation of conscience, which was from the fall of Adam until Noah. And then from Noah, we find that there was the dispensation of human government until the Tower of Babel. And then after the Tower of Babel, there was the dispensation of promise, which God started with Abraham, and that it ended in captivity in Egypt. And then after the captivity, God started a new dispensation called the dispensation of the law, which was when God gave the law of Moses. And then there was that time period. Jesus was born under that dispensation. And so he spoke into that dispensation. And then when he rose from the dead and the day of Pentecost uh, came, then we had the new dispensation of the church age, which was called the mystery, or it's called the time of the Gentiles. And when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and we leave, then there's one more week left to play of the dispensation of the law, if you like, which is the 70th, um, 70th week of Daniel. And I said to you last week, we're going to see things in the earth very similar to the judgments that God brought upon the nation of Egypt when he said, let my people go. And there was 10 judgments that came on the earth at that time, incredible judgments um, on Egypt. And um, God was fighting for Israel at that time, which he will do again. So if the rapture belongs to the dispensation of the church age, um, if the church was a mystery, and it was, then the rapture also is part of the mystery. Which means we're not going to see any teaching on the rapture of the church in the Old Testament. And we're not even going to see teaching on the rapture of the church in the Gospels. Because Jesus was not talking to the church. He was talking to Israel. He'd come as a lamb and he'd come under that dispensation. And so if we want to have a look at the teaching on the rapture, we need to go to the letters to the churches. The apostle Peter, he spoke about it in his letter. He spoke about, uh, Paul spoke about it in Titus. Uh, John the apostle, he spoke about it in the books of John. Jesus alluded to it in the, in the gospels, but there was no definite teaching about the rapture. Um, in the Gospels. And so whatever you see, one shall be taken, one, shall, one will be left. Another taken, another left. There'll be two in the field, one will be taken. That's got nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing. And so we'll, we'll have a look at that another time when we, when we teach on, on, on Israel. And so um, basically, let's have a look here. Uh, number, let's have a look here. So that some say that the word rapture is not in the Bible. Um, you know, when you've got these arguments with people are saying, well, well, where's the word rapture in the Bible? It's actually a, a Latin word, and it's, it's not in the Bible. But what, what the word is that is in the Bible is uh, either we're being caught up or we're being gathered together. You'll see those words in, in, the, in, the, in the letters to the churches. In fact, on your outline here, it says, the rapture comes from the Latin word rapparia, uh, and it means to take from one location and transport to another location. Isn't that amazing? You know, some of these Wi-Fi, or not Wi-Fi, some of these sci-fi movie things are starting to have people disappearing and flying through the sky and coming up here and then appearing and all kinds of stuff. We're going to be doing that, guys. We're literally going to do that one day. And it's not too far away. There's going to come a shout. We're going to hear the shout. The earth's not going to hear it. And we're going to rise to meet him in the air. Amazing. And so let's have a look at, that, at the scripture here. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 17, it says here, For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. So the word rapture may not be in there, it's a Latin word, but the word caught up is the word. And so there's coming a time that that's what's got, that we're heading into that. And so let's have a look at here that the Bible records uh, three previous raptures, and in fact, there's, all, there's, there's actually five raptures that will take place. And so it's already recorded three previous raptures. I mean, if people think, well, what is it, and how do we know about the rapture, and, and that this is real, and this is just not fairy tale stuff. Well, let's have a look at Enoch was raptured, 
And the Bible has got two scriptures that talk about that in uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And it says here that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Woo! Imagine that. I mean, you think of that. I mean, God is a relational God, and he's coming down to the earth. Remember, I said last, last week that God is into relationships. He wants to fellowship with us, and we've got Enoch on the earth, and he's walking with God, and God just enjoyed him so much. He said, Enoch, why don't you come home to my place? And he just took him. Come on, come back. So this guy, in, in Hebrews, the New Testament... Okay, that's a scripture in the Old Testament. Hebrews in the New Testament, 11 chapter 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found. His body was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, for somebody to record that God took him, somebody must have seen Otherwise, how would have they known? How would have they known that God took him unless somebody saw? Here's another one, Elijah. And this is proof that somebody did see in this one. Elijah was raptured in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. It says and, and when, when Elisha and Elijah were, 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 were walking and it was time for Elijah to go to heaven to die, and um, they were taking a journey, and they'd seen the school of the prophets. And um, Elijah said to Elijah, look, you just stay here. And he said, no. He said, I will not leave you. And so he followed Elijah. And Elijah said to him, if you see me being taken up, he said, the mantle's going to come on you. The mantle of a double portion of that of that anointing is going to come upon you. And so they went past the, 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 the prophets, and um, as they were on their journey, it says here, and then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared like horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, Elijah saw that, because Elijah said, if you see me, go up. And so here we've got proof of Elijah, uh, uh, Elijah being raptured, taken up physically. He didn't see death. And he got taken up. Elisha saw it. Now here, here's another one. Jesus was taken up. People saw him being taken up into the clouds. You see, there's been an interesting um, doctrine that people can flippantly, and I've probably done the same thing, have said, oh, we're going to be taken in a moment in a, in a twinkling of an eye. Have you heard that? Well, no, it says we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It didn't say we're going to be raptured in the twinkling of an eye. All of a sudden we're here and we're gone. No. God might just do it real slow so everyone sees. We will be changed. We, 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 this, this corruptible will, take on, will be, have incorruptible. This mortality will take on immortality. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This, this body will be turned into a resurrected body. In the moment of time, and we'll be taken up. And so that's where, if we don't see what we're reading, we can just think, oh, yes, we're going to be disappear in the twinkling of an eye. But no, God may have something different. And so Jesus was taken up. Look at this in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 9 and 11. And now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, circle that, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, um, as he went up, God's repeating this so that we get it, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So can you see out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a word be established? We've got three examples here of raptures that have already taken place. And people have seen it. Now we're going to have another rapture, which we believe is the church, is going to be raptured out of here. There's also going to be another rapture that takes place uh, during the seven years of tribulation, where the two prophets, Moses and Elijah, Will, be coming, will come back onto the earth 
And they will be preaching the gospel during that period. And they will be a thorn in the side of the Antichrist in, in 666. They will hate these men, uh, but they can't kill them. God has put a seal on 144,000 prophets at that time. And God has put a seal on these two prophets so that they can't kill them. Eventually, God allows them to kill them. And they lie in the streets for three and a half days. This is the mercy of God. This is the grace and the mercy of God. That they lie in the streets for three days, three and a half days. It says that the whole world will see these prophets that have annoyed them lying dead in the street for three and a half days. And then on the third day, they rise from the dead and they go up to heaven in front of everybody. That is the grace and mercy of God. God is showing them that it is possible for somebody to die, to rise from the dead, and to be raptured into heaven. And we believe that at that time, people will get born again. This is one of, all through the tribulation, there is incredible mercy and grace being shown to God, by God. 144,000 um, Israelite um, people preaching the gospel that can't be killed. You've got angels flying through the skies declaring salvation is of the Lord. You've got the two prophets. And each time God is endeavoring to reach out and say, come on, give your heart to the Lord. So there are going to be people that are going to get born again. And they will, they will not be the church. Uh, in, 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 in Revelations chapter 7, it talks about a, a scene in heaven where all of these people are coming up uh, off out of the earth into heaven, arriving with white garments on. And a voice says, who are these? And the voice says, they are those who have come out of great tribulation who have washed their garments. And so you've got tribulation saints. They're not the church because the church is no longer here, but they're tribulation saints. Um, and so there's a magnificent story of the book of, of, of Revelations of God's mercy and his love for those that curse him and hate him. And yet he brings forth signs and wonders and miracles and even those judgments, hoping that these people will see, that, hey, this, this, is, this is what you're heading for. These kinds of judgments, that's going to be for eternity. Turn and be saved. Because once you hit eternity, there is no turning back. You've made your decision. The door is shut for salvation. So it's an absolute incredible, incredible story, love story of God. And so the timing of God, let's, let, let's have a look at the, the um, timing of the rapture and, um, and see what Paul has to say. It's interesting how Paul had has written and he's spoken the, at, um, about the rapture or about you know, us being changed in the twinkling of an eye in the book of Corinthians. And in the book of uh, Thessalonians, he wrote two letters to the Thessalonican church. They were going through incredible persecution. Uh, at that time, the Roman Empire was ruling the earth and uh, Nero, the emperor, he was a wicked, 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 wicked man. Um, and the persecution that was happening in that time, some of the Christians thought that they were going through the tribulation because they had no idea, remember, that there was a 2,000-year period of the church age. It was a mystery, and so people were getting born again, but they were just learning about who they were in Christ, what God has done for them, and, and again, that was just progressive revelation as it was being taught, and it was being taught through Paul, who was writing letters to the churches about the revelation that he had received. Paul talked about the revelation of the church age. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had been taught by Gamaliel, the top, um, the top high priest of the day in Israel. And so he understood all of the dispensations and understood all of the Old Testament. Um, and then God visited him and gave him a revelation on the church age. He said, I was taken up into heaven. Whether in the spirit, out of the spirit, God knows such a one was taken into heaven. And he said, I heard mysteries that is just not possible for a man to, to, to utter. He, he received the mystery of the church age. And then he came down, back down to earth, and he actually um, wrote, the, um, wrote the, the letters to the churches, expounding and explaining 
what this church age was about. So when he writes to the book to the Thessalonians, let's just read Thessalonians 1. This was his first letter, and then he had to write a second letter. He wrote the first letter to comfort them because they thought they were going through the tribulation. And then some false prophet had come into the church and, he had, and they had written a letter and signed it as if it was from Paul saying, yes, you are going through the tribulation. And so Paul had to correct that wrong letter by sending a second letter to them. And then he started to bullet point what is going to take place. And that's where we find some of the main doctrine of the timing of the rapture in there. And so let's read the first letter here. Um, and again, the, 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 if you read the whole letter, book of Thessalonians, there are only a few chapters, and so you can read them in one sitting and then get the whole story um, for yourselves. And so 1 Thessalonians says here, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, others who have no hope are those that aren't born again. Um, but those that have already been persecuted and already been martyred have already gone to heaven. So it says here in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so that was his teaching to the first, in the first letter. Now we jump down into the second letter uh, where Paul wrote to the Corinthians to correct the false teaching. And it says here in, uh, in 2 Corinthians verse, um, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, it says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, remember I said that some people thought they'd missed the rapture because a letter had gone out to say that they are now going through the tribulation. And so Paul is saying to them, listen, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's one event and our gathering together to him, that is another separate event. These are two, not the two are the same. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's one event. And our gathering together to him, another event. That's the rapture. We ask you not to be soon shaken or troubled, either by spirit or by a word or by a letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, this is actually the second coming of Jesus Christ when he, when he arrives on the Mount of Olives to save Israel. So Paul is saying that day, for that day cannot come unless the falling away comes first and then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now there's a lot in here <laughs> um, that I want to just break down. First of all, so Paul is actually addressing, he's talking about two events here. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. Now, the coming of the Lord is, is actually applying to when Jesus Christ comes back and he actually touches down on the earth. The rapture, he doesn't come to the earth. We meet him in the cloud. Okay, so there's two different things he's talking about. And Paul is saying to the church here, he's saying, listen, the coming of the Lord cannot come... And the man of sin, which is the Antichrist, cannot be revealed until the falling away takes place first. What's the falling away? It's the rapture of the church. And so let's have a look at this because um, falling away, a lot of people have thought, okay, the falling away comes first, then the man of sin is revealed. A lot of people have thought um, the falling away means that the church is going to fall away, that people are actually going to go into sin, that the church is going to be lukewarm and it's going to be backslidden and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so I want to just break this down and have a look at this here. And even some translations, paraphrase, not, not translations, paraphrase, um, have actually sided with that doctrine that the falling away is the backsliding of the church. But I want, to, I want us to have a look at that. 
And so Paul, Paul, he said, let no one deceive you because that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And so I've put here that some have taken the falling away to mean the rebellion or a turning away from the Lord. Um, And some paraphrases like the New Living Translation, it actually says this. Listen to this. It says here, that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That one you could take, um, it, it may not be applying to the church. This one here, the New Living, um, the New Century Version says, that day cannot come until the turning away from God happens first. And so that, the, the word falling away is actually the word apostasia, which means to leave, to depart, it means, or it can mean defection. So apostasia is actually when it says until the falling away happens first. The means it's actually a noun and it speaks of being an actual event. It doesn't mean that the church is going to be falling away over a period of time. That there is a departure over a period of time. It's an actual, it speaks of an actual event. In fact, the Weiss translation says that. It says here that the word can only mean the departure of the church because the word apostasia does not say departing from evil or departing from good. It would have to actually identify what it's departing from. And it only says the falling away or the departing. The um, Greek lexicon um, translation, that study um, dictionary, says that the word apostasia says here that the Greek word for falling away, taken by itself, does not mean religious defection. The definite article, that denotes that it will be a definite event, the falling away, that it's a definite event. The best translation for that word, the lexicon um, dictionary says, would be to say to depart. Okay, so I'll carry on reading that. Weiss translation then puts it like this. Uh, in your outline, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, it says here, Do not um, begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way, because that day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first, and the man of lawlessness is disclosed in his true identity. So do you realize that the man of sin, he cannot be revealed And he cannot take his position in the earth while we, the church, are here. Satan would like to, but we are here. And we are the light of the world, and we are the salt of the earth, and we are the preserving factor of the earth right now. And he cannot. Yes, we can see that wickedness is is, is happening before us, but we've got to realize we are powerful. And when we see things happening in the earth, we're to use our power and our authority and say, no, not while I'm on the earth, you will not. Back off. The principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness should not be allowed to operate on our watch. We are watchmen. God told Adam in the beginning, you watch over the earth and don't let the evil come on into the earth. And so we are responsible for our generation. And if any evil is coming through government or whatever, through big pharmaceuticals, through the big multinational companies, we are to speak up and say no and hold it back while we are here. It's a disgrace that these things should be taking place when we know who's got the authority. All authority belongs to me, Jesus said, in heaven and in earth. And then he gave all authority to the church. He's the head of the church. We are the body. The head's in heaven. We are on the earth carrying his authority, carrying his name, carrying the blood of Jesus. And we just open our mouth and God says, we are the king decrees, there is power. We are kings and priests to our God. We're here to rule and reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Positionally, we're seated in heavenly places for the reason to rule and reign. And Satan would like nothing more than for us to get into fear and look around and think, oh my goodness, 
rather than standing up and sitting on the throne and declaring no. Not on my watch, devil. Read. You can't do what you want to in our nation. Now, I'm not saying that we have authority over any other nation. We're New Zealanders. We're in New Zealand. We're in Wellington. And so we have authority in our region because we live here. Aucklanders need to look after their city. Taupo needs to look after their city. God's got his army and his people and his body in every city and every town and every street in our nation. And we are to guard our streets. We're to guard our city. And to say, no, you're not doing what you want to in our city, devil. This is ours. God has given it to us. But you see, the Bible says that for a lack of knowledge, my people go into captivity. A lack of knowledge. It's not because the devil's so strong. It's because we don't have the correct knowledge and we're not using the knowledge that we have and rising up and saying, stop. God says, whatever you stop on the earth, I'll stop it from heaven. God says, whatever you allow, I'm going to have to allow because you're the authority in the earth. But if you stop it, I will back you from heaven. The Bible says that the angels are ministering spirits. He sent them forth to minister to the ears of salvation. The angels are listening for the voice of God's word. And so as we speak the word of God, those angels will take that word and they will make it happen. This is a time for us to take back what belongs to us. And when God comes to get us, Jesus Christ comes to pick us up in the clouds. I want to go out with glory as a champion. Not defeated and under the circumstances, but as a glorious church. Having done the job that he called us to do on the earth. And so, and again, I'm sort of, if we broke this down in the Bible college setting and absolutely line upon line, we can break that open. But you've been given enough here to have a look and see that the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ, cannot happen until the rapture, the departure. The falling away happens first. And then the man of sin is going to come on in. That's that seven years of tribulation. We get out of here and then that, that the whole earth is going to be turned over to Satan. The Holy Spirit will still be here. Some people have actually said, in fact, we'll carry on reading and you'll have a look here. Um, <clears throat> let's have a look. In fact, let's, the, the Amplified translation supports the departure of the church here. On their footnote, the Amplified says, um, a possible rendering of the Greek word apostasia is the departure of the church. So we're not falling away and backsliding. The church is not falling away and backsliding. That would be an insult to the King of Kings. And that would make Satan far more powerful than God, Jesus Christ, the church, and the Holy Spirit. And he is not more powerful. Yes, you will have some people that are going to be lukewarm. But I'm believing that the majority of us are going to be on fire and we're actually going to be glorifying our King of Kings, walking in signs and wonders and miracles. We're not leaving here until we've healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead. We're not coming out of here until we've done that. That's our inheritance. God's given that to us. How many dead people have we risen? I've been to a few funeral parlors and told them, get out. Get out of there. <laughs> I went to one funeral parlor and, 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 and was praying for one person. The person said, oh, please don't lie on the body. <laughs> like, you know, the story of Elijah and Elisha and he lay on the body. I thought, I'm not going to lie on the body. <laughs> that was quite a number of years ago. That was... Praise the Lord. Okay, so let's have a look. Let's read this translation. Let's read this in the, in the NIV translation. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 6 to 8. It says here, And now you know who is holding him back. We're talking about the son of perdition. We're talking about the Antichrist. In fact, let me have a look and make sure I've got it all. In fact, let's just read the, number C. The son of perdition is revealed after he is taken out of the way. I'll read that again. It says, For that day will not come unless the falling away or the departure comes first, and the man of sin revealed, the son of perdition. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, circle that, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Let's read it in the NIV. 
It says here, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed uh, in his proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. We can see that in the earth. But the one who now holds it back, holds it back, will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So who's the he that's holding Satan back? Holding, holding the Antichrist 666 back. The he, is, I believe, is the church. Um, if Jesus is the body of Christ, if Jesus is the, is, is, is the head and we are the body, we're a he. We're not a bride of Christ until we get up to heaven to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, right now you're a he. <laughs> You're part of the body of Christ. You're not the bride yet until you transformed and, and you're taken up to heaven. So until he is taken out of the way, some people have thought that that is the Holy Spirit. They still said, well, Satan can't you know, have his way and, and the Antichrist can't be revealed until he is taken out of the way. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we would uh, beg to differ from that because the Holy Spirit needs to stay down on the earth. And he needs to continue his work of convicting the world of sin, of God's righteousness, and a coming judgment. Nobody can get saved unless the Holy Spirit moves on their spirit. And so he has a work to do, a huge work to do during the tribulation. And so the he that is taken out of the way is us, is the church. And when we are taken out, then the son of perdition can be revealed. And so um, let's have a look here. And so I've just put here that we, we are the light of the world. You're the light. You're the light in your workplace. You're the salt in your workplace and your street. Your street is preserved because you live there. Your family's preserved because you're in it. And Jesus said, look, if the salt has lost its flavor, what good is it? And Jesus says, no one takes a light and puts, and puts it on, on, on you know, a cover on it. He says, no, he puts it on the hill so everyone can see. That's God's heart. Praise the Lord. And so let's just quickly have a look here. So there's been three, three comings of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Or three comings. We could, three, they call them the Advent. You know, we're, we're doing an Advent calendar right now. Um, you know, sort of like an Advent. What does that mean? It means appearing. And so Jesus came the first time as a baby. That's the first advent. Advent. Then the next time he's going to come, but he's going to just touch in the atmosphere, the rapture. And then there's a second advent where he's going to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is why the disciples didn't understand what was going on. And even after he rose from the dead, the disciples still didn't understand the church age. Because they said, in the book of Acts, they said, after he'd risen from the dead, they just said to him in Matthew, they said, Jesus, are you going to come and set up your kingdom now? When is the end coming? And are you coming right now? And they didn't understand. And that's why that mystery had to be revealed to them. Um, praise the Lord. And so let's have a look here. What else are we going to cover? So the church has not been called to wrath. As I sort of said, some of, these, some of the teaching that's out there is that the rapture is by works. It's by your good works. That's what they say. That, that's what has, has been spoken, that it's, it's by your works, and then they can sort of, kind of, sort of manipulate scriptures that one's going to be taken and you're going to be left because you're not, you haven't been behaving yourself. Um, you know, all kinds of, you know, sort of teachings like, like that. Um, the rapture is part of the salvation package. It is by grace we have been saved. It is by his grace. And part of that grace, it's called the great hope that we are going to go together up to heaven. And let's have a look at some of those scriptures. You know, the Bible talks about we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will give an account of himself to God. You see, there's two, there's two seats, there's two judgment seats. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ happens after the rapture of the church, and then we are going 
in that era, at that time, the seven years of tribulations happening down on the earth, at that time in heaven, there was the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's the judgment seat of Christ, which we're going to look at, and then you've got the seven years of tribulation, and then Jesus comes on back, then you have him ruling for a thousand years, and then after that, there's what they call the great white throne judgment, and we, we, we will not be at that, 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 that judgment. That is a judgment where people will be eternally damned. And so that's a, it's a, a judgment that sometimes people can mix up these, these doctrines and mix up these scriptures. And then it, it, it just breeds fear in people. And then it gives God, it makes God look, you know, like he's, a, he's this hard man, this kind of this judge when he's not. This grace, right up to the very time when the door is closed, God is crying out, salvation, angels through the skies, declaring. And so let's have a look here. So the tribulation is a time of Satan's wrath and God's wrath later on in the tribulation on Satan's kingdom. And we're going to have a look at that um, in the next couple of weeks uh, on Matthew 24, 25. And so examples of God taking his people out before judgment happened. You have a look at Noah. Noah was preaching righteousness for 120 years on an earth that was totally in, 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 in a place that was filled with wickedness. The wickedness was so great. And, and, and God saved Noah, a righteous man, from the flood through the ark. What was that God? Taking him out before judgment came. The same thing happened with, with, with Lot. Uh, when the angels came down and, 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 and um, the angel of the Lord, which was Jesus Christ, uh, came down and they visited, Noah, they visited Abraham and they had a meal with him. And then after that, they were heading towards Sodom. And he said to himself, shall I, shall, I, shall I share with Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing he is going to be the father of many nations? And so he went back and he said, look, he said, we've heard the wickedness that's come up before us uh, into heaven of, 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 of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we've now come down to see if it's as bad as what we're hearing it is. And if it is, then we're actually going to bring fire down on that city and just wipe the whole lot out. Now, that's the mercy of God because God did not want that infectious and that cancer to spread to other cities and nations. And so God was trying to contain that. And so Abraham then went and made intercession in, in, in Genesis chapter 18 and said, well, pre-adventure God, if you find 50 in the city, are you going to destroy the city for 50, for 50 righteous? And God says, no, I'm not going to do it for 50 righteous. He went down to 40. If there's 40, if there's 30, if there's, if there's 20, he goes down to 10 and says, God, don't be angry with me now. But if, if there was 10 righteous people in these cities, would you turn around and judge it? Surely the God of all the earth would not do such a thing. And God says, no, I won't. So even there you can see the heart of God. That if there's any righteous anywhere, there's no destruction coming. So when they talk about God judging Christchurch or God judging different nations or different places, that's God's judgment. No, it's not. Not at all. God is not judging. We're in the age of grace right now. We're in the dispensation of the grace of God. If there's anything happening in the earth, the earth is actually groaning and crying out right now. She wants to be delivered, Romans 8 says. The whole earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. She's tired of the sin. She's tired of the blood that's been spilled on her. And she's groaning right now. She wants to be delivered. And so this is not God. And so we find Lot was, 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 was delivered um, before judgment come. We also find in the book of um, when God was sending judgment on the a nation of Egypt. That that judgment didn't hit Israel. They were in Goshen. And those judgments were coming on the unrighteous um, Pharaoh of Egypt. And God's people were protected. So we can see here, there's just three of those examples that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, we can establish doctrine. That God is not bringing judgment on his people. That we've passed from judgment to life. We've passed, and so that, therefore, we cannot be on the earth when judgment happens. You see, in, in fact, it's interesting, I've got here that God will call his ambassadors home. We're called the ambassadors of Christ. And you know, in, in the natural, you know things are looming in the air when a nation pulls their ambassadors out of a country. You know, before war happens, the first people that are called home is the ambassadors. 
And when the ambassadors are called home, everyone's on alert because something's happening. And so when God calls his ambassadors home, something's about to take place on the earth. Praise the Lord. And so we said here that the rapture is not based on our good works. If we jump down here, it says here, and, and, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Christians I'm talking about. All means all. So what is that judgment seat of Christ? Well, it's called the Bema, B-E-M-A. And the Bema uh, was a, a, a throne uh, in the ancient times, and the, the, the Bema was not the judgment seat. There was another seat for judgment. The Bema was a reward seat. And you remember like in, in the Grecian Empire when they would have the Olympic Games and the Olympians uh, would come before um, the emperor after they had won their, their fighting or their races or whatever they had done. And they would be best uh, and, and, and um, he would re bestow rewards upon them or an olive leaf. They had all kinds of things that they were exempt from paying tax and they had all of these rewards that were given to them for winning. Um, generals that had won war uh, won battles, would come before the beamer and they would be rewarded for their great feats that they had done. And so when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that word judgment probably doesn't give us the right word or the right meaning. Uh, we would probably be better to say that we will all appear before the reward seat of Christ. And that that's a time when all hell is breaking loose on the earth. We're actually up in heaven and every one of us is going before the beamer, the reward seat of Christ. And that's a time when God and Jesus Christ are going to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you to his children for the work that they've done on the earth. All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will give an account of himself. The Bible says that the fire will go through the works. And the wood, the hay, the stubble are going to be burned up. And we're going to be rewarded for the gold, silver and precious stones. The fire is going to go through that works. I mean, our salvation is four-pronged. It's past, present, and it's future. We're spiritually born again in our spirit. That's our spirit saved. Our mind is going through the pro process of being metamorphosed, being transformed. That is happening right now. Then we're going to pick up a new body on our way up into the air. And then we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that final cleansing will be the fire goes through our works. And then we will be rewarded for our works on earth. And, and the thing is that God doesn't reward like we, we think of rewarding. God says, if you give a glass of water in my name, if you just give a cup of water in my name, you're going to receive a reward. You mums that are at home and you're looking after your children and you're being the wife that you, that, that you should be, God's going to reward that. Like Moses' mother. Like Samuel's mother. Like Jesus' mother. Like John the Baptist's mother. That trained them in the way that they would go. So that these men knew that they were called to a ministry. And so God doesn't judge on the outward appearance. God judges according to his heart. And his heart is family. And his heart is children. And his heart is training up the next generation. God says to, 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 to Abraham, I know you, that you are going to train your children after you. I've picked you because I know that my blessing is not going to stop with you, but that you're going to train your children after you to walk in the ways of the Lord. And so that will be one of the greatest blessings and, 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 and rewards that God will give is that you're bringing your children to church on Sunday, that you're training them up in the way they should go. So that's going to be part of your rewards. And so don't let even Satan steal from us even this, this teaching of the reward seat of Christ that, oh, I've got to be a preacher. I've got to you know, win thousands to the Lord. No, you don't. You have to do what God's called you to do in your place as a mother, a father, a grandparent, serving in your church, serving in our nation. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's God is a good God. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what God wants us to know. I'm a rewarder, that I'm good, that I'm for you, I'm not against you. And so just as we're closing, I just feel that God was wanting me to share this as an encouragement. That yes, we do see things happening, that there, things are lining up. And, and in Matthew 24, Jesus said, when you see these things, know that the day is approaching. Um, but for us, we're about the Father's business, that we're here and we're going to occupy territory until he comes to get us. That we're about the Father's business, knowing that we're going to stand before his reward seat, 
And he's going to say, well done, you good and faithful servants. Well done. And I'm just speaking that out over you right now. That already I know that all of you, all of us have done something amazing for him. And that God is the rewarder. Yes, we're going to have maybe some regrets and the fire will go through the works. But do you know that in teaching and you see some of the historical studies there, one of the guys is Hoyts who's a great theologian, and he says, for, for people to teach the reward seat as a judgment seat is, is not right. He says, because then that would make heaven hell. Isn't that amazing? I thought, yeah. He says, yes, all of us may have a, a time of regret. He says, but hey, God is going to wash away all of our tears. You know, and it's going to be swallowed up in the victory and the, and the experience and the joy of heaven. And so, Father God, I just... Thank you for our church. We thank you for the people in this house. We thank you, Father God, for who you are, for your word that encourages us. Lord God, that gives us understanding so that we can do like you've done, Lord Jesus, be about our Father's business. And Father, I just speak blessing on every family. I speak blessing upon every children's worker, every mother, every father, every grandparent that is doing their work, protecting our wee ones, protecting our children in this incredible time and teaching them the ways of the Lord. Father, we just speak blessing, Lord, that you bless the work of our hands, the prayers that have been prayed, the declarations that are made over our families, over our city, over our nation, are, are worthy of rewards. And so, Father, we just thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name. Now, just as the worship team comes, oh, yes, okay. As, if, if anyone here has not given their hearts to the Lord, please, I'm encouraging you, come on up the front. This is a time for you to get born again. He's the most amazing king. He wants to be your father. He's a father to the fatherless. And so I'm asking you to come on. If you come with someone, then bring them up. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, then I'd encourage you also to come up. We'll have one of our leaders pray for you. That's a gift that you need. Uh, and the more you pray in tongues, I'll tell you what, you're just stacking up rewards. Because when you're praying in tongues, you're making intercession for your families, for your life, for, 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 for the kingdom of God. Wonderful, wonderful gift.